Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. This episode is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. This is the final post-game edition of this season. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, and Ted Wynn. The Raiders' 2021 season came to an end on Saturday with a 26-19 wildcard playoff loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. Derek Carr on fourth and goal throws an interception trying to hit Zay Jones at the goal line. Plenty of things that we can get into about this game, about a uh, inadvertent whistle that'll probably go down in Raiders playoff lore. But for the Raiders, a 2021 season that started with, I think, you know, some type of playoff expectations. And, and certainly those were boosted by the way they played early in the season, getting off to a 3-0 and start, and then even weathering the John Gruden storm to get to 5-2. and We all know that, that they hit a lot of bumps along the way, and at one point it looked like a, a playoff berth this season would be, you know, a, a fantasy. But they found a way to get into the playoffs, and, you know, Tashawn, as you wrote in your postgame column, it's hard not to look at this season as a success, even though it didn't go the way they wanted on Saturday. Yeah, when you throw in all the context um, and everything that happened this season that we've all been over, it really shouldn't be a playoff team. You know, like they, they overachieved losing their head coach, losing, you know, some of the, one of their best players along the way, all the injuries, the tough schedule that they had down the stretch. And so obviously they wanted to advance. Of course, they didn't want to lose today. But, you know, just making it to the playoffs in itself um, was an accomplishment for this group. It ended a five-year drought, and even though they didn't win, you know, what I kind of wrote about tonight is, you know, this is a kind of season persevering through all the things that they did on and off the field uh, that, that builds a level of character and goes into developing culture, which is something that, you know, um, doesn't always carry over from year to year, but at least you have, like, some semblance of hope for, like, a foundation being built coming out of really a hectic season where things could have gone sharply in the other direction. You know, back when Gruden resigned, like, I don't, I didn't feel confident about them being in a good place at the end of the season. And I feel like they are, even though they you know, got bounced in the first round. And so obviously there's a lot of uncertainty going into this offseason. Um, Rich Basaccia, you know, will he get the full-time role? Mike Mayock, how does he factor into that? Derek Carr going into the contract year, essentially. And so things could change along the way. You know, this could be a completely different team organizationally and roster-wise by the time next season rolls around. But I think there's a, a, some promise there that they can build on moving forward. Now they just got to go out and do it. 
for me, it was it was a strange game. I thought the, um, the Bengals didn't play all that well. I thought the Raiders did not play that very, very well either. I thought they had a chance to win this game, which to me, my stance kind of changed. I, coming in, I thought, you know, if they keep us getting close, even if they lose, I thought they keep us getting close. I thought Basachi and Mayak and everybody will be back and, you know, uh, ho-hum. But uh, I don't know. I had this weird uh, feeling. I thought that game was uh, was very winnable. I thought that last play, I mean, people are going to focus on the interception. But even a worse scenario, if he catches the ball and it's down the two-yard line, that's even a worse scenario than interception because why did you throw the ball short of the end zone? So I just think um, if when Mark Davis looks at this game, I'm not sure he's going to be satisfied with uh, – you know, we had heart and we were close. I think there was a, a missed opportunity here tonight, which they um, they probably will regret going forward. I agree with you. I think um, there's a certain ceiling with this coaching staff and, and this team. And, you know, th- I think he, he did a great job keeping his team together, but they won a lot of close games. And usually a general principle is if a team wins a bunch of close games in the season, the next season, that kind of luck reverses and you saw that in 2016 and 2017 when you know they, they ended up losing a bunch in 2017 and you could see that general trend when you look at teams he did a good job of keeping his team together but there's just a certain ceiling that this team has that I don't think they could really break through with this coaching staff and I agree that last play call was just really bizarre they had two guys that were sort of near the end zone but not even really in the end zone Waller was running, I don't know if he's running like a wheel or something, and Renfro is running like a flat route to the left. So I think they were trying to get like the coverage away from Zay Jones and have him post up in the end zone. But it's just like, I think that play kind of shows like this staff might be sort of limited. I think they do a lot of good things keeping this team together. But like, I just I have a hard time wanting to keep them, you know, even after this game. Yeah, I thought the game itself was like a combination of like their worst traits this season, right? I mean, like the penalties were insane. Like the entire offensive line committed a penalty each. They had that one drive where they had three holding calls on the same drive. I know they probably don't want to hear about refs right now, but like those holds were holds and the false starts, like they, they committed a lot of penalties and that's some ref decisions that were justified. I mean, the red zone offense was terrible. I mean, they were able to move the ball. They just couldn't finish drives and get six. In terms of their defense, like while it's like a resilient group, they do have like some weak spots that teams can pick on. In this game, it was Brandon Faison, and after he got concussed, it was Desmond Trufant, and they just spammed that, that Jamar Chase button over and over and over and over. And defense being so stagnant, um, you know, they weren't changing it to where Casey Hayward was going to follow him across the formation. They weren't really changing their coverages. Uh, they weren't blitzing, even though they weren't getting pressure with four. It, it was just kind of like a combination of like all their faults that has like nipped them in the bud, or not nipped them in the bud, but kind of got at them as, at certain points throughout the season that they never nipped in the bud. And it all kind of just hit him at once in this one. And, and the fact that it was still a game where, you know, theoretically it kind of came out down to the last play, I, I think it's going to end up feeling like a missed opportunity for them because they didn't play anywhere, you know, near close to their, their best football. And, and they were still really close to advancing. And so it's kind of like the next step, I think, for this team, like moving forward. It's, it's kind of cliche, I guess, to say the small things, but those details and the adjustments and, and kind of their lack of ability to adjust is, is what ended up, you know, costing them in the end. Really did feel like this was a game that encapsulated their season, right? You mentioned all those things. I mean, you look at the first half. I mean, it was a shit show. I mean, you've got Peyton Barber downing a punt at the two-yard line. You've got Carr getting strip-sacked on a play that I don't really even necessarily blame him because you've got Trey, you've got Foster Moreau trying to solo block Trey Hendrickson. It was just so much wild stuff that was going against them, and yet 
They found a way to get into the half down 2013. They found a way at the end of the game to have a chance. You know, there's the questionable decision with 30 seconds left to spike the ball on first and goal from the nine, which cost them an opportunity to throw one more pass into the end zone. And obviously we saw their fourth down play ended with 12 seconds left. I mean, they probably could have and should have thrown a, you know, tried to run a play there on that, uh, on that first down, try to get an extra shot at the end zone. Um, so, so much stuff that they did wrong and yet they were, they were at the end. Um, I think, like you said, Vic, that while the season overall has to be viewed as success, it does feel like a, a big missed opportunity. And a lot of players, and today I were talking about after the game, about how, you know, the foundation set, in Basachi said the foundation set, we learned how to win, we improved. That's all true. But I don't necessarily know if that means they're ready to, to keep going from this and, and build on, make sure to get more than 10 wins and go farther in the playoffs. I think they're missing quite a few pieces. And uh, like Ted mentioned, there's a good deal of luck involved this year. So I don't know how much faith you can have that really just keeping it together and bring, bringing it back will mean more wins. I just felt like the margin of error for this team is so small. It's hard for them to create big plays. And I, I thought Derek Carr played fantastic this game, honestly. I Guys couldn't separate. They were giving extra attention to Waller, giving extra attention to uh, Renfro. And Waller's not all the way back. You can just tell he's not running full speed. He can't separate. Like, even on that big second and 17 or third and 17 pass, like, that was a perfect pass, and he couldn't separate. And in the first game against the Bengals, they couldn't cover him. So... This team doesn't have a lot of weapons. Yeah, it was just the, the margin error is tiny, and you just can't beat a team with a good offense when you kick four field goals. And I think we'll eventually get to some good things that happen, but I just didn't like that to kick a field goal down 10 points at, at the end of the game. It kind of worked out because they got the ball back and they got to the, the red zone. But then, you know, when they got to the red zone, because the, there was no threat of a run, and, you know, they knew they had to get to the end zone. The Bengals were able to just sit back in, in the red zone. And it was just really hard to pass from that point. So, you know, and that's another thing that I think, you know, has bitten this team in the past. is just a conservatism when it comes to fourth downs. I just did not like that call at the end of the game. Well, uh, let's talk about the inadvertent whistle. I mean, obviously in Raiders playoff lore, you, you always have the immaculate reception, the tuck rule. This season we'll have the inadvertent whistle. It's the, the play where Joe Burrow is you know, running toward, you know, out of bounds and he gets to throw off. I mean, we all can acknowledge it was, it was a good pass. Um, they completed the touchdown, but the ref right there on the sideline, you could see him have the whistle in his mouth. We all heard the whistle very clear when you watch the replay that it was, the, the play was whistled dead before the touchdown reception is made, which by rule should have meant that the play would be played over. They would have the third and four again, and, and maybe they convert, maybe they score a touchdown, who knows? And we don't know what happened from there. You know, Trayvon Merrick, who was in coverage there, did seem to let up at least a little. Maybe he's able to make a play on the ball, maybe he's not. Maybe it's a touchdown if there's no whistle. But it's just kind of one of those what-ifs, and uh, I think made worse by after the game, uh, Walt Anderson speaking to... Uh, Paul Daner, our, our pool reporter, basically lied and, and said that they determined that the whistle was blown after the catch was made, which anybody knows that that's not true. We, we can all watch the replay. We know that's not true. And I mean, Walt Anderson, for him to come and say that after the game, he had plenty of opportunities to review that play before then and, and to know that that's not true. But um, that's the story that they're trying to go with. And I know for Raider fans, did it cost him the game? We don't know. Probably not, but it is just another in a line of bad officiating plays that did hurt them. 
it's not reviewable. So even if it was ruled an erroneous whistle, they can't review the play. So I'm not sure what the best case scenario is. And also, I'd say the officiating was pretty bad for both sides throughout the game. I mean, there were timeouts that were granted after big plays on the Bengals on more than one occasion. So I just think the officiating was really bad. And I know Raider fans are going to jump at that one, but I thought it was pretty bad for, for both sides. There's two sides to that because one, I, I really thought there was going to be a touchdown anyways, but after seeing a replay, I thought Merrick might have had a chance to make a play. He definitely let up. But on the other side of things, if they replayed that down and the Bengals got that third and four, that wouldn't have left. The Raiders probably wouldn't have scored a touchdown at the end of the half, and that end of the half touchdown was pretty big too. So it, you know, if the Bengals end up scoring on that drive and taking too much time, then they would have got the ball back in the second half, and you know, who knows, it wouldn't have blown out. So I, I don't take too much stock in that call. I agree that with Vic that the officiating was just pretty terrible on both sides, and you know, I think it'd be a lot easier on fans if uh, they cleaned some of the really obvious mistakes up because it was it was just so bad. Yeah, I mean, I know one of the arguments that was made, uh, you know, I think on the on the CBS pregame show uh, before the uh, the night game was that, you know, I think Bill Cowher was making is like we have the technology to watch a replay that clearly shows you can audibly hear the uh, the whistle being called. Like if we have we have the technology for all these kind of things, we have a technology to to see, a, you know, up when a play clock expires, like why why is replay not taking advantage of that type of technology? So it is what it is. Um if they blow that play dead and they take the touchdown off the board for the Bengals and Bengals fans are irate. I mean, so I agree with you, Vic, that the officiating was terrible on both sides. I mean, the, the roughing the passer call on Derek Carr on that final drive. Um, I mean, come on, that was, that was <laughs> awful. That was awful. So, you know, I know a lot of Raider fans like to go with the anti-Raider conspiracy. I, I think it's just officiating is pretty awful in this league. Yeah, right now. It's bad wherever you look. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's so many breaks, like after Peyton Barber did whatever the hell that was like, Derek Carr like almost got sacked for a safety like it was right there and then it somehow didn't I think they got a field goal out of that it balanced out like obviously that that sticks out like we couldn't hear obviously the whistle up in the press box really so like I didn't really notice it live that like somebody was easing up but obviously it showed up on the replay but in the grand scheme like that's not why he lost his game which I think you know Vic sort of wrote about tonight looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What did you guys think about the uh, the the clocking the ball on uh, on first down? 
30 seconds to go. They're at the nine yard line, first and goal. Um, I know our, our buddy Josh Jabal did his uh, research and it was the uh, the first time in the seven seasons of uh, spike data from Sport Radar. Um, that's the uh, 30 seconds is the most time left in a one score game that a team has uh, has spiked the ball. Uh, if you're looking that kind goal. of stat up, you have way too much free time on your hands. Josh needs some hobbies. Do you need I confirmation mean, that Josh has no, way too I, much I really, free time? But he keeps setting the bar like lower, I mean, or higher or lower. I don't know, but the bar keeps going. One, I mean, the soonest, what is the latest, they sp- earliest they spiked the ball at the end of the yeah. Most time on the clock for a team I that mean, spiked it. I mean, give me a break. I mean, that's a classic, you know, I think 2020 hindsight kind of call because I'm sure they're in a rush. And if you don't spike the ball, who knows how much time gets off the clock? Who knows what call you have there? Maybe it's a bad call. So I think that, you just know, throw a goal on fade. Call. Just throw a goal on fade. That's kind of one of those things you just have to have that. To like, who? That, to has, who? To who? that has to be to built Waller. in. Brian Edwards. The bigger issue is them fucking up two timeouts for no reason because they were dicking around at the end of the play call. And, like, if you, you have no timeouts at the end of the game, that you can't just, you know, take a timeout instead of spiking the ball. And it's a whole different conversation. You don't lose it down. And so that was where the issue was. Like, in terms of them spiking the ball, I mean, we saw the final play that they drew up when they had time. Do we think they really had a great play on the fly <laughs> coming off of that, off of that completion on a, on a first and goal? They just automatically had the cue. Yeah, hey, we're going to do this. No. Like, so that. I think it was best for them to, and if you can't get in from the nine yard line with three shots, like you're probably cooked anyway. A timeout would have been pretty big though, because they were moving that Cincinnati front. So if you could get like a run in there, just the point of where they were at was a very difficult spot to score in because they were above, I think, a little further than ten yards. You don't have you know many like twelve yard plays. It's you know it's a pretty difficult position from where they were at exactly. So if they were like three four yards closer, it would have been. You have a lot more plays at your disposal, so that was just a is a difficult spot. I will say the, the third down play, I thought they had it because uh, Carr had plenty of time back there, and Renfro was kind of covered, and all of a sudden he he and Carr did a thing where they kind of read each other, and Carr um, kind of motioned to him, and so Renfro cut back toward the sideline, and Carr let it fly, but Renfro slipped and fell. So I wonder if he hadn't fallen, if he would have caught that ball, because that was probably their best chance to score in, in that sequence. Yeah, I mean, things really did get set up for them pretty well late in that game. I mean, Trey Hendrickson goes out with concussion. I think what Larry Okunjobi was out of the game, too. I mean, they, I, we were also worried about the Bengals, you know, defensive line, and, and two of their big guys were out by the that, that fourth quarter. I mean, and that gave the Raiders a chance. And, you know, I mean, I guess, I mean, that's all you can ask for, right, is a chance. Um, that's kind of the, where we were at. We went into the final month of the season. Will they have a chance to make the playoffs? And, and here they were. Uh, I mean, like I, I tweeted right after the game. Like, if you go back, you can probably pick six points in the season where if you tell a Raider fan, we're going to give you first and goal from the nine. We, we, we're going to give you fourth and goal from the nine with a chance to tie the game up. I mean, you're taking that. Uh, this Raider season was not supposed to come down to a fourth and goal play from the nine, and and it did. So it's frustrating. I mean, I get it. It's frustrating. It's in a real tough spot because obviously, in many ways, it is satisfying or gratifying that you actually got to this point, you overachieved, whatever. And but at the same time, is it really going to like sustain you for a while? And kind of is it like it wasn't a nutritious meal? You can actually get stronger from this. And I'm not sure what they do going forward as far as the coach, GM, the quarterback, all that stuff. So I'm not sure there's a clear path. You say, okay. If we do this, we're going to keep going in this direction. I think it's a, it's a really tough call. In honor of you guys being in, in Cincinnati, it was basically Skyline Chili. It was some food, but it's not something you really want to eat. 
Yeah, they showed that at halftime. I, I passed. That's not, oh, that's God, not they had it at halftime? That's not an attractive meal, I gotta say. It smelled, like, notoriously bad. Like, I didn't know what the fuck that was. Like, I was, I was talking to guys next to me. I go, what is that smell? He's like, oh, it's a chili. That's how the chili smells. What kind of chili smells? Like, so I, I didn't touch that. I mean, we had some 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 good food. Congratulations to, to Adam Hansman uh, for the Bengals getting the win. We got some good food uh, our first night here. But I was eating chicken tenders and fries from the concession stand tonight, man. It was, it was rough. You went to the concession stands to get food? Yes. Wow. Let's talk a little bit about what's next. Um, you know, I know national reports in recent days have indicated, you know, the Raiders would plan to do a full, real, actual coaching search. And, you know, that makes sense. You have to. Yeah, you have to satisfy the Rooney rules. So you have to. Yeah. Oh, they, they didn't last time. <laughs> they called in a couple guys and say, hey, you want a token interview? And uh, we're, 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 you know, they, they uh, I mean, yeah, they obviously extremely circumvented the Rooney rule last time when they hired John Gruden. You know, and so this time, you know, Rich Passaccia, you know, will be a candidate, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I know, you know, Derek Carr made the case for him. Uh, Max Crosby is has made the case a couple times for him that, you know, he would love to see him back. You know, I, I know I, I talked, you know, kind of middle of the way through his tenure that, you know, gosh, if they make the playoffs and that leads to him coming back, is that the best thing for the Raiders? And I think he was the right guy to kind of keep this team together through this kind of season, but... You know, I mean, if this is a team that has potential, if Derek Carr is, is going to play like this and you're going to bring him back and you you really think that this team can build off of this playoff appearance and make the next step, you know, I, I, I just I don't know that this staff gets it done. That was always my concern. Like, well, yeah, of course you want to find a way to make the playoffs. But if that meant that you just run it back with a staff that obviously has limitations, especially now that, you know, the staff was put together by John Gruden for John Gruden and now they don't have him. And, you know, we obviously had questions about the direction of this team under Gruden. We know they have limitations. My lean is at this point, I think he probably does not come back and that they uh, they go through the search and they find somebody new to, to lead this organization. Yeah, I think this season was like a good testament to like why he was the assistant head coach. But I feel like that's like a position that's usually kind of hard to evaluate because it's like, well, when am I ever going to see you be the assistant? You know, it's like, how do you really get a handle on that? And like, we, we see that this year, why he was in that role and why he was ultimately chosen to step into the interim position. But I think he also showed us like, why is an assistant on the front of that? You know, it's like when it comes to these late game decisions or managing the clock with the timeouts or really not having an influence on the offense or defense, not saying that you have to call plays to be a good head coach, but not really adding anything in that area. It just seems like, you know, he's a really good assistant, but you know, maybe not the guy for that lead role. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know necessarily that if he's not the head coach, I don't, I don't know if that means like, maybe, like they've kept assistance. I think with coaching changes before, like that's not unprecedented. So I don't think that necessarily means you got to show rich the door, you know, and, and kind of lose that element that he had of having those relationships with those guys and keeping the group together and the experiences that they had this season. So I, I don't know that it's like a complete total hard reset, but I just feel like they need like a, a true, like legitimate head coach to kind of step in and, and, and take over and give them a new sense of direction. Yeah, I wonder if Davis handles just the same way he handled the uh, the Aces, the WNBA team he owns, or where he pretty much told Bill Lambeer, the coach, like, I want you back as a coach unless I get Becky Hammond. If I get Becky Hammond, then we'll find you another job somewhere in Oregon. So I wonder if he, if he has a guy at some point in the near future who becomes his top choice, who tells Rich kind of similar deal, look, I like you, you did a great job, I really appreciate it. We want to have you back. Unless this guy comes, then we'll go from there. So I wonder if that's actually an option that Mark's thinking about. 
It's kind of interesting because like they didn't take advantage of that two week window at the end of the season where you gotta get the chance to start interviewing guys and now that the playoffs have started. Like I mean, some of the best candidates are in the middle of playoff runs. Like of course that could change depending on who gets eliminated. Uh, I think the Bills game is over now, but the game's tomorrow. I'm gonna kind of see what happens from there. So it's kind of like they're getting, I guess, a late start on the head coach's search, but it's kind of like the normal timeline. I guess they just, I guess it's a better way to word it is like they didn't take advantage of that early window that they had to kind of start the process, but. Definitely doesn't seem like one that they're, they're going to rush into, nor does there really seem to be a, a reason to at this juncture. To me, I, I think it's a, the, the Raiders is a pretty attractive coaching destination. I mean, you know, they have a, a new stadium. Um, I, I, I think Derek Carr has played pretty well, and I think this last game should solidify uh, him as a you know, future starter. You know, they have some good young guys on defense and uh, just looking at the candidates that are available in interview now, you have Brian Flores, you know, obviously Jim Harbaugh is a hot name that, that's connected with the Raiders. I think Doug Peterson's a, a good good name. D'Amico Ryan is getting some buzz too. And uh, Jared Mayo from the Patriots is getting some interviews too. So uh, yeah, I think there's some good names available to start interviewing. So, I, you know, even though they were a bit late. I think they'll they'll be fine with the the interviewing process. I mean, here's one thing. They're the only team that can talk to candidates and say, "Hey, we made the playoffs this year." They're a playoff team that, you know, is going to be interviewing head coaches. And I mean, I think no matter what, you know, for Mark Davis, he needs to have this time to like get to know people, get to know some of these coaches around the league. Like we said, the last coaching search was a fraudulent search. It was they had John Gruden, they were going to hire him and they had to interview a couple of other names just as a technicality. And he hasn't had a coaching search really since Jack Del Rio. And right, Vic, with Del Rio, wasn't that like the second guy he interviewed and he fell in love with him? And, you know, it was it was a pretty quick interview process there where he 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 he, he liked Del Rio. Del Rio had the 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 history from the East Bay and, and he locked on to him pretty quickly. So he hasn't done a whole lot of like sitting down and getting to meet a lot of these coaching candidates. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, it's going to be whoever he connects with at first. I think the funny thing about Del Rio, if I recall, was he was the Broncos defensive coordinator. I remember uh, Mark was really impressed by how well he knew the Raiders roster, which I thought was funny at the time because obviously he just coached against them all year long. But yeah, I think Mark definitely is a guy who, once you say the right things to him and he sees your, your vision and whatever your plan is, I don't think he's going to haggle too much. I think he's going to follow his heart like as we've just done in the past. So we'll see how that goes. Third time's the charm, maybe? Uh, I don't know. First two did not go too well. <laughs> Del Rio tenure wasn't terrible. I mean, he got him into the playoffs. Um, you know, obviously that, that last year there uh, went sideways. And I think you make a guy fire himself in the end. I, I got to chalk that up as ill. That it tells you how fraudulent that coaching search was. Is like Davis has admitted, like, yeah, if, if Gruden, you know, if Vic, you talk about the whole Becky Hammond thing. Like, it, that, was, that was the same situation where if Gruden hadn't agreed to come on, he didn't have the conversation with Jack like uh, like he did with Bill Lambier where, you know, he told him like it. he didn't have that conversation. But it was the same deal where um, he wanted Gruden. And if not, he, he said he would have kept Del Rio. Um, I mean, he had just given him an extension, uh, you know, before that season. So that's the that's part of this. We'll talk about this, I'm sure, uh, as the weeks go on. But like, say you don't bring him back with Sachi or Edward Mayak, then you're kind of hitting the reset button. Like you're kind of like whatever progress you made this year in terms of the roster building and all this you know, togetherness. You're kind of getting a new coach or a new GM, man. He has to get his own guys in. So all of a sudden, whatever progress you made this year that you think maybe, you know, for the long run is all of a sudden gone. It's going to cost you some money also. So you're paying a pretty good price to erase whatever progress you think you made this season. I think the roster, like the the core talent, like will still be there. Like in terms of like 
the hits that they have had, like the Max Crosby's, Hunter Renfro, Derek Carr, et cetera, like going on and on. So like I think there's still like attractive talent there and they have a lot of cap space. They have all their picks. So like I'm not sure like it's not gonna be what year was it? No, twenty twenty eighteen when Gruden hit the reset button and kind of started from scratch. Like I don't think it'd be a situation like that. So I think the roster will still be like fairly similar to like what it is now. I think that's the approach that you want to take. You know, I think you want to rebuild, but you have some core pieces, some nice pieces to rebuild with. It's not like a complete rebuild, you know, where you're just, everybody's gone and you need to look for a new quarterback and all blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you're rebuilding. I think you have a quarterback. You have some nice pieces. And, you know, that's part of what makes this an attractive uh, coaching destination. I just think that, you know, you don't want to continue on this path, especially when, you know, you have to acknowledge that there's there was some luck involved in, you know, the Raiders being able to get to the playoffs. Um, and that luck could reverse next season as it has, um, you know, as a general trend in, in the NFL. Luck can reverse and they could come back arrogant and pompous, as uh, as Derek Carr said, they came back in uh, in 2017. But, you know, one other thing is if they extend Carr, which, you know, we, you would think if they decide they're going to keep him, they got to extend him. And then, uh, you know, obviously you have, likely have to sign Max Crosby to an extension on a Renfro possibly um, that could uh, chew into that cap space quite a bit if they uh, sign both all three of those guys. But um, those are conversations for down the road. And, you know, we'll, uh, we'll obviously get into that as we track this off season and track the coaching search. But I think with that, we will wrap up our final post game edition of state of the nation. We appreciate everybody hanging out with us all season long. It's been a fun season. It's been a, a crazy season, um, exhausting season at times. We didn't think we would have a, a postseason edition of this show. So uh, we appreciate everybody listening. And, uh, you know, we'll be back. Uh, you know, I think we'll do a season wrap-up episode later this week, most likely. Uh, continue our tradition of uh, selecting our team MVPs. And uh, it, it'll be, we, we won't be selecting a defensive player of the year by default this season. So that'll be fun. Uh, we'll be back and uh, throughout the offseason, especially when everything, anything relevant goes on, when they hire a coach and all that. And um, you know, look forward to uh, talking to you guys down the road. Later, guys. Adios. And we do apologize. This loss does end the Vic Taper. streak. Ah, it's so, so <laughs> he, sad. He is retired. So sad. So sad. Don't cry. You don't want to send us out with one final note? Nah, dude. Nah, I don't. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm sick. I got all kinds of problems. We'll always have the memories. I appreciate that. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Later. What the world? Needs now is love, sweet love. Yeah, yeah. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.